0: What happens when a top auto industry sales and marketing executive and a top trial lawyer become business partners? They create a fireproof business. I'm Leah Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we believe that doing what you love leads to success. In camera podcast, private legal marketing conversations. Grace, we're back one more week. How are you today? Good. How are you doing, Grace? I, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, I'm worried as always, right? This situation that we're passing through is unsettling. I, you know, I'm worried about the kids right now. I'm worried about schools. I'm worrying about the fact that it doesn't look like uh, we're getting out of this, but we're kind of just settling in and hoping for a miraculously solution to come, which well, it all looks like it's going to be in the shape of a vaccine, Grace. So, you know what? Um, enough of talking about COVID. I always start a conversation with that, right? You're like, kind of like my 30 seconds of relief uh, on worries related to the pandemic, Grace. But today we have a really an amazing episode planned with guests that will help us understand the value of overcoming adversity and how to do it best. Right, Grace? So without further ado, please introduce our guests for today's episode.
1: All right. So as mentioned by Liel, it is actually a perfect opportunity with this this episode that we have. And it is with great pleasure that we welcome back a friend to in-camera podcast, attorney Michael Morse. So attorney Michael Morse has the largest personal injury law firm in the state of Michigan. He has been the recipient of numerous prestigious accolades in the legal industry and for his remarkable community service. Attorney Morris recently published, along with his COO, John Knockhazel, a pioneer in the practice of applying business metrics to law firms, Fireproof. Fireproof is the best-selling book that can be used as a blueprint for law firms on how to overcome adversity and lead a path to success, profitability, and independence. Michael and John, thank you both for joining us today to talk about the book and the journey that led you to
2: it. Hi, guys. Thanks for welcoming us. It's uh, great to be back. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us.
0: Just like Greg said, welcome back to In Camera Podcast. Mike, John, it's a real pleasure to having you here. And um, I want to start by congratulating you, right? You recently became best selling authors and I was actually um, checking out on your LinkedIn, uh, Mike, you've recently been shortlisted by Entrepreneur Magazine along with six other titles on a list for books to help you move past the entrepreneurial fears. Now, what came as very interesting to me is that this list was not specific about the business of law. Uh, this list was about entrepreneurship as a whole. Did it surprise uh, both of you to see you listed there considering that most of law firm books tend to be very niche specific?
2: So I was very flattered. I know John was too. And we were surprised. We did not know that was coming out. And, you know, to specifically answer your question, I've been, a lot of the feedback that we've been getting is that this book is not just for lawyers. And we didn't really see that coming. We had a uh, person who does... Uh, integration for lots of different businesses who coaches, does CEO coaching who called us and ordered 150 books and he says I'm going to get make this mandatory reading across all of my uh, clients and he doesn't have any legal clients and it kinda blew both of our minds we're obviously flattered one of those books I've read two or three times the Daring Greatly by Brene Brown who I'm a big fan of hers in that book so to be alongside her and other great books was just wildly flattering.
0: Excellent. Well, Mike, here's the thing: when I started reading your book, right, one of the things that really struck me was um, when you talk about your childhood experience and how the exposure you had to the service industry shaped, in a very uh, meaningful way, your persona as a, as an attorney. And I 100% agree with everything that you say. There, As a side note, I have actually 12 years of experience in the hospitality industry, and so that resonated very well with me and really felt uh, close to home. Now, in recent interviews, you have said that you hope law schools will encourage students to read your book almost as as part of the curriculum. Would you also recommend them to seek professional experience in other industries other than law firms, as a way to prepare themselves to become better lawyers?
2: So that's a good question. I probably wouldn't recommend lawyers going to get jobs in restaurants and things like that. Um, But absolutely, I, I waited tables all the way up into law school, college, high school, middle school, and, you know, working before law school to get, that experience with multitasking with how to deal with people with customer service with improving your memory with reading people and reading tables and and knowing how to deliver how to sell how to you know every waiter they say okay guys you got to push the salmon you got to push the tuna tonight they're going to go bad if you don't sell it tonight so you got to go to those tables and you got to sell there's no different than selling a client selling a, a jury you have to be passionate uh, they let you try the fish so you know how good it is. And if it wasn't good, you don't sell it, right? you got you, you got to push what you like. So but you you know how to sell. So I, I would definitely you know John John always looks for the resumes that have people who who've worked in the service uh, food service industry specifically. And uh, we've had really good experience. In fact, this is not a plug to red lobster, but we have like eight employees who worked at Red Lobster who now work for us, and they're all fabulous uh, people and employees with the skills that we're discussing.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Mike, because you see, I think that people who are comfortable and happy doing a job that is front-facing the customer people, right, require a certain uh, attitude towards life and towards being around people. And you cannot teach that. You can certainly teach skills, but you cannot necessarily teach someone to love being around people and helping people and, and, and liking to, to get that instant gratification of actually having an impact on somebody's life, whether it's by solving them a massive problem, like it could be a personal injury case or just by providing them a nice experience by serving them a nice meal, well, right?
2: Well, the gratification feels the same. Don't you know, you know, when you sit down at a restaurant, when we used to go to restaurants, um, you'd sit down and you'd know within how many seconds if the waiter or waitress was good or bad, you would know within yeah. three seconds, Yeah. five seconds, And you know if you're going to have a nice experience with this person or not. And I learned that. I learned how to give a good experience. And when I meet people, it's not fake. It's my DNA. That's just kind of became part of me that I want people to feel at ease. I want people to feel welcome. I want people to, you know, not think of me of, you know, the owner of this law firm. It's just I'm another lawyer here to help you. And um, that, again, I, I, I learned those skills. Uh, through waiting tables, busing tables, working in the service industry.
3: So I just want to build on that and say that uh, for me, when I become the uh, supreme ruler of the world eventually and I can mandate things, one of the things I've always told my kids is that I wish everybody could spend a year as a commission-based salesperson uh, because it teaches them how to sell, whether in the law arena it's to uh, a defense attorney, a jury. Whoever it is that you're interacting with, but a couple of my daughters are engineers, and neat if they have the best idea. But if they can't sell the idea to their superiors, uh, it's not going to really go anywhere. So I think everybody, no matter what you're doing, has to be able to craft a story and tell it effectively and influence other people to do stuff. Uh, whether it's law or anywhere, I think sales is a is a great experience. And if you're if you Commission. If you're commission based, then it helps you develop a work ethic and teaches you you eat what you kill, and it it, it teaches you how to be results based um, and not just content with showing up and clocking in and letting time pass, but actually trying to make a difference in the world and contribute.
0: So, John, thank you so much for adding that. In your particular background, has nothing to do with law, right? You, Correct. You you co- you come to the law business without necessarily having any background. And so how much of an impact did that have? And was it advantageous? I think we know the, the story by reading the book, but uh, explain a little bit as to why it was advantageous. Sure,
3: I, I had no experience in law. I had no ambition or dream of ever working at a law firm. That was not the point. I had worked for a, a big company, Ford, obviously a very big company, and, and then a, another company that sold big data. Uh, So I had 20 years of sales and marketing experience, all in the business world, and all of it, um, especially the 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 second uh, place where I was at, which which was R.L. Polk, uh, big emphasis on data. And so what I learned were the business principles of how to run a a business, a generic business. I also got my MBA from University of Michigan, Um, so that was my whole emphasis. And then with a particular passion for data and i took those experiences and brought those to the law firm and i didn't know anything that the law firm had to offer and they didn't know what i had to offer but we were able to mush it together um, and really complement each other really well and and was able to take all of the principles and that i had learned as a a sales vp or a a product person um, and really apply them to the law firm in a very direct, shockingly direct way.
0: How did you and Mike met? Sure.
3: So we met. It's a a bit of serendipity. My neighbor, um, I was looking to make a change. I was not interested in being in the automotive industry anymore, kept going down, down, down. And so I was looking to make a change. And I told him that uh, I was interested in running a medium-sized business. I didn't say law firm. I just said a medium-sized business. And he happened to do the uh, executive testing for Michael at the time. And he had had breakfast with Michael that morning. And he's like, you're kidding me. Um, Michael Morse needs you. So uh, Jerry made that connection for us and the rest is history.
1: that really is, that's so cool. So this brings me kind of my next question and this is uh, to to both of you, but uh, whichever one feels most confident answering this one. Um, Your book has five main sections. And the one that kind of stands out to me, I'd say, is the jo- Jumbotron concept. You know, that's, where- that's
3: the right one. Congratulations! <laughs> it's data.
1: I am a data nerd, so Good. and I constantly bring it back to other industries. So this is actually a wonderful conversation and podcast for both myself and Liel because we're all about data. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
1: can you explain the Jumbo Jumbotron concept a little bit for me?
3: Sure. So at its most basic, it's Um, you know, the analogy we use is typically a sports analogy, because at first, when we talk to lawyers about a jumbotron, they're kind of looking at, or the importance of data and knowing your numbers, it's, I don't have time for that. You know, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, and it's kind of shocking how little they know what's going on with their, with their business, and they feel out of control and anxious because they can't, they're driving a car and they have no... Data coming at them, and they can't really steer the ship without a, a dashboard, KPIs, and and other things to let them know what's happening. But the, the sports analogy is, you know, we talk about whether it's football or any sport you could pick. Um, but the coaches and the players, in order to make plays and put people in the right position, you know, who should be on the field, what position should they be playing, what play should we run. Uh, it depends on the score of the game, the time left in the game, how many timeouts are left, what's the down and distance, what are, what are we trying to do? And I feel like there's so, we both feel like there's so many law firms out there that are trying to coach a game, and they have no idea what the score is, uh, let alone any of the individual stats. And it's, it's just so much more peaceful and easier to have the data, to measure a few key metrics, and give yourself a sense of control it emboldens you to take uh confident strong action and gives you great clarity on what your problems really actually are and it leads you to the solution just jumps out at you once you properly understand the problem
1: that makes sense um so during covid i know it, it, it can be a little more difficult right uh for a lot of people that aren't i'd say in the cloud or you know remote, um, particularly, you know, again, during COVID, it's, just, it's been a lot, of, a, very difficult on everybody. So do you have, does your staff currently have access to your Jumbotron, to your data points, or, and how are you kind of keeping up with your Jumbotron, for lack of a better word, or data points?
3: Sure. Uh, I'll take it. So um, the, we have multiple Jumbotrons. So there's, there's a Jumbotron for our leadership team, But then there's a Jumbotron for each department and team as well. So all the people have access to the relevant ones. And the team leaders, the senior litigation attorneys, have access to um, the main, the leadership team Jumbotron. They know precisely what's going on. We're very transparent. Uh, Everybody knows what's going on and they know exactly um, what's going on with their own team as well as others. And it's just very very open and and sharing and everybody's able to track what's going on.
1: Yeah, that's not pretty standard. Um, I know a lot of times transparency can be difficult within an organization, particularly with a law firm, right? So that's kind of interesting to hear that you have um, an open sort of look into what you have going on with the firm as a whole. Um, So besides these specific, I guess, uh, to each and each of the teams, how else would they know that, they, that they're actually contributing to moving that needle in the right direction on your Jumbotron?
3: Sure. So, I, uh, we give them access um, directly into our accounting system. So, they see in real time, 24 7, 365, if they're at all curious what's happening, they can, they can go in and see precisely where they are. They know I establish goals for every team each year. Um, and so, we know exactly. What we're expecting from each team, and they know to the second uh, where they stand for that progress. What their deficit is, what their their uh, their surplus is, and it's it's um, it's fun uh, for me because it's math, and it's I'm able to give them a goal that stretches them, but it's achievable um, and allows them to focus and. And it generates a a bit of competition, too, Uh, a little bit of a competitive feel, which, any way you can create energy um, is a great thing. And by giving them a number to track against, it's channeling them, uh, pointing the way of what needs to be accomplished and how much progress they're making.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's just really uh, remarkable right the way in which you uh, take the big picture goal and then it trickles down throughout the entire organization to the point that every single team player knows what exactly they need to do in order to achieve the bigger goal. And, and and it just gives you a sense of purpose and something that it's attainable to you, it challenges you and it and it keeps you wanting to push forward. Because otherwise when you just communicate we want to sign a thousand cases just by the end of this quarter or whatever, right? Like how how can a receptionist make that theirs, right?
3: Sure. Well, and we, we, we do a really deliberate job of setting the goals for the year and then making sure that every ninety days someone has a A task, a rock that's assigned to them that's in alignment with the yearly goal. So we literally are the company that has everybody rowing in the same direction. And you hear it said, well, what, it's remarkable what happens when you have everybody rowing in the same direction. Well, we do, and it's by design, and we have metrics set up that are in alignment so that each person understands their direct contribution uh, to the larger number that it folds into and and it's powerful and it's amazing what people can do and it brings them it also builds a sense of belonging and uh, togetherness and everyone feels motivated to do their part and make their contribution play their role
0: Mike this uh, this is a question uh, for you in your book you describe several fires that you've experienced in your personal and professional life the ones in your professional life getting fired from your first job your law firm burning down to the ground and losing your biggest source of cases was another one. Is COVID-19 a fire for your law firm? Would that, if, if we were to have a sequel here or a revised version of this book two, three, five years from now, would COVID be one of those fires?
2: Yes and no. So yes, COVID is a fire. Um, no, it wouldn't. Be in the book for two reasons. Number one, you might have fallen asleep before you read that last chapter because there was two pages on COVID. Number two, and the only reason I know that is because I read the book for an Audible copy yesterday, <laughs> um, and I forgot we put that in the book. Uh, but two, the truth is we added nothing because of COVID. Because being fireproof deals with things like COVID, deals with tsunamis deals with earthquakes deals with fires deals with all kinds of natural disasters deals with unnatural disasters if your law firm or any business is fireproof you will thrive in disasters when your competition is suffering and trying to catch up and so while they're catching up you're just acting as business as usual so um it's I wouldn't add a chapter and I wouldn't write a book about it because I've already written a book on it.
0: Mike, you recently returned your two million PPP loan. Why? What was? Why do you decide to return it? Obviously, we understand that people who returned a the loan, they probably did it because, you know, they could weather the storm. They were concerned about the, the the PR backlash that can come out of this. But really, if we're honest about um, law firms, right? People who like you will like you whether you take the loan or not, and people who don't like you will continue to unlike you whether you return the loan or not. So, what was the driver that made you decide we're giving back two million dollars? Uh, that. I'm pretty certain it would have helped, right? Like uh, you're still a personal injury, as, as big as you are, you're still a personal injury law firm. There's been a decrease in people on the roads uh, since COVID started. You have a big staff to look after. Why did you return the loan?
2: Well, I didn't do it to be liked. I did it because I thought it was the right move. Um, our, you know, To take you to the beginning, The day that it was announced, our bank was calling my team, my my CPA, my CFO, my COO, apply, 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 the money's leaving, the money's leaving, get it, get it, get it. My team applied, and we got it. Two weeks later, or whatever the heck it was at this point, uh, we were still getting calls, we were still settling cases. Uh, I waived my salary, and I decided, let's not lay anybody off. And... You know, my team kept looking at me and saying, okay, Michael, let's discuss this. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the reasons uh, to take this money is because that you need it. And you're not supposed to take it if you don't need it. And I didn't need it. And there's a lot of people who say, well, your competition's going to take and everybody's going to take and it'll be a competitive disadvantage if you don't take. But I didn't need it. And so, and I'm hearing stories that small businesses aren't getting it and restaurants aren't getting it and other friends aren't getting it. To this day, I hear that. And I don't know, my team and I decided together uh, that it wasn't needed. And so, um, you know, we just, we said, okay, give it back. Uh, We never used a dime of it. Uh, I don't think we had it for very long. I don't even know if we really ever had it, or if it was sitting in the bank and we just gave it back. I don't care. Uh, I didn't use it. I don't need it. Um, and I think, and I was proud to share that, and I mostly with my staff to say, guys, we're going to be okay, and we're going to help support other businesses in our area. And in the long run, I just thought it was going to be a good, a good play uh, for me personally, for my firm. Uh, um, and it it, it it i haven't thought about it i mean i haven't thought about it the cases are still coming in the cases are settling and thank god i don't need it uh if i needed it i would have taken it but we are successful we brag how successful we are we're out there telling everybody that we win it, it seems a little hypocritical to uh tell people i'm 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 so successful and i win all your cases and, da, 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 and then and then take that handout and that was made clear to me by my team, and uh, and it just felt it felt like the right move.
3: Yeah, I I just add on that yeah it was it wasn't data uh, that drove that one. That was just was, Michael didn't need it. It was and it was the right thing to do. And everybody has to judge for themselves whether or not they need it. Um, and he didn't do it for this effect, but you can imagine that. Uh, uh, the team, um, looking up to that type of leadership and integrity. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's somebody I want to get behind and, uh, you know, go to battle with and, and, uh, drive things forward. Um, so it was a source of of pride and energy.
1: And even relief. I can imagine for the staff, they see this, they see that he's making this decision. They're like, oh, we're good. No matter what's going on, we're good. Exactly. That's that's insane. There More was a see. lot of
3: fear back then. There's still some, you know, yeah. you know, throughout all of our, you know, networks of people that we talked to, and yeah, that was very calming. Nobody's getting laid off. Michael's just going to waive his salary instead, and we don't need the money. We're fine. And that That's was, amazing. That was that was a good thing to share.
1: That is, and and not only that, but you know I've, I've known Michael for for a very short period of time really I mean I'd say about a year now um, we met at you know one of the mass torts made perfect conferences and we kind of hit it off really quickly because of you know my geek tech background and he, he had a bunch of things with the Twilio and this that the other so we just became friends for you know in the industry I'd say and I can see that this is who he is so it, it's not data it's not Uh, personal it's not no it's it's who he is this is what he does and it's really amazing I, I have to call that out right here just because I think it's important for people to understand that that is Michael Morse you know what I mean and that is your business as a whole and even you John you know being with him for 12 years this is who you guys are so in my the way I've always looked at it is consumer behavior and personalization of a company you need to stand up for what you believe in and he's always done that so again I just appreciate that and um, I can't imagine how good that must have felt for everyone in the firm working for you so yes so that brings me to my next kind of question statement Michael you are an entrepreneur you have the biggest law firm in your market you are a host of your own podcast you published your book you're constantly creating content and marketing material for your law firm, which I love your videos by the way, especially with your mom. Um, you give back to the community. So what's next? What's next for you?
2: That is a really, really good question. Um, Cause you know, after that introduction of that question, I'm, I'm actually need to take a nap, It's I, I feel like. <laughs> um, you know, I love building things and I love I just love building I love sharing Um, so there's two things that popped into my mind when you asked that question not and I was not prepared to share either of these things but um, one has to do with the book fireproof Um, we are getting uh, over uh, an overwhelmingly number of calls and emails for help and you know I have uh, consulted with John and he 's agreed to take on a few clients um, to you know act as their coach and mentor and teach them the fireproof way We are looking at ways to scale that um, we don 't know exactly what that 's going to look like, but john 's energy is all over it my energy's all over it it 's fun we like to teach we like to help people so that is happening um, And that was kind of an, you know, we thought we're going to sell some books and, you know, teach. Uh, But this, you know, in the book, we didn't really ask for consulting work. That was not our vision uh, because we're running a successful law firm. But John has done such a good job at running the law firm so well and setting up all the processes we've talked about and all the things in the book that he has some extra time and he wants to help people. So that's the first thing. The second thing, um, because of the podcast Open Mic, found on all channels and YouTube, um, I have really developed an interest and passion for helping the wrongfully convicted, and I've done several podcasts now on it, a half a dozen. I've met two people who spent nine and 15 years in prison for crimes they couldn't have committed. And it's overwhelming, you know, this stuff, right? So I'm taking meetings. I'm doing the podcasts. And I had a meeting a couple weeks ago. Um, Actually, this is the first time I'm actually sharing this um, with people at the Innocence Clinic here in Michigan, University of Michigan. And they asked me to take on a case after meeting me and hearing my passion. But I've never done anything like this but I have 40 lawyers and we're figuring it out with their help. And we've agreed to take on at least one case to help someone who's been wrongfully convicted, who had a bad trial, get a new trial. And that's, that's new. It's next. Um, And uh, it's, uh, um, it's, I'm trying to find the right word because it's, um, I'm feeling pressure. i am feeling a lot of pressure because I, I, this guy gets, This nice person who was wrongfully convicted, who had a bad lawyer, who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, had, uh, I'm his one shot to try to, you know, get some justice. And um, I'm going to put my heart and soul into it, and I'm going to do my best job possible. But it's a big deal. It's out, definitely, I mean, I've owned it to him. I've owned it to everybody that this is not my expertise. But they just need good, this gentleman just needs good lawyering. And all a lot of these people need good lawyering. But all of the wrongful conviction cases that I've studied, and I've studied a bunch, all the criminal defense court appointees they've gotten were horrible. Most have been disbarred. Most have been, if they weren't disbarred, they were uh, disciplined for bad conduct. It's a, it's a pattern. And I'm I'm not even talking about the bad judicial and and police misconduct and prosecutorial misconduct. I can't control those things. I can control bad lawyering and make sure it doesn't happen on my watch. So, you know, if I wasn't busy enough, I'm going to take on uh, that task and um, stay tuned. That is
1: so you, Michael.
0: (laughs) That's great. That's wonderful work. That's uh, commendable and very... uh... Much needed, right? I think particularly uh, in these times with so so much we hear and so much that's coming to light, it's definitely those sort of things that make uh, a big difference in communities. Mike, this is a marketing podcast, right? And we cannot, as much as we want to only talk about Fireproof, we cannot not talk also about your TV commercials, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about The Masked Man? that recently got released and it's fantastic. We love it. So what response you've got of that new ad?
2: Chapter four, Cherry Garcia versus vanilla. So- <laughs> Five. Is that chapter five? Yes. Um, I need to pay a little bit of attention. <laughs> so you did finish a book, I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, yeah, that one, I, so when Ambulance Chaser came out a year and a half ago, I probably got a hundred random emails telling me that it's the greatest spot they've ever seen. And they were nice emails. I've probably already gotten, it's been out for less than a week, I've probably gotten 200 emails telling me it's the greatest commercial they've ever seen of all time. Uh, <laughs> the greatest law- lawyer commercial, the greatest everything. And, I mean, I, get, I wake up, I have 10 on my, e- on my email. And I, share, <clears throat> and I share some and I don't share some with my team and with my creative team. But there's a little bit of an interesting story that nobody's asked me about yet that i will i will tell you was that um when the when my my crack uh advertising team learner advertising came to me with this idea i said no i don't like it i'm not doing it masks are too political i don't want to advocate for mask wearing i don't want to you know I, i i I probably have lots of clients who don't want to wear masks, right? I probably have clients who are on that side of the debate and I respect them. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, um, I mean, I believe in, I'm wearing masks and I believe in masks and uh, I think it's the right move, but I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't willing to put a commercial up there saying, wear masks. And the first pitch said, there was a board, one of those old fashioned boards that said, wear a mask or something like that. And I, and the, so the whole tone of the commercial was promoting masks. And so I, I panned it. And then someone very close to me uh, a couple weeks ago said, you know, you should revisit that. You should revisit that. And she's actually in the commercial, the person who, uh, the blonde girl with the uh, curly hair is the one who said, you should revisit that commercial. Um, and, um, and, and, and. You know, she's also the person who said you should write fireproof. So she's pretty smart. And um I uh I said, All right, well we'll call Ross back. And I called Ross. I said, I'm not promoting masks, but give me a work up on this. And he was so excited. And like within two hours he had he had it all specked out with the storyboards and I said, Okay, this could probably work and uh and we it was a ten hour shoot in a city uh right here in Detroit um with quiet streets that morning and I had, I wore I wore the wrong shoes and I ran around for 10 hours up and down fire escapes and around the city and saving dogs and saving balloons and it was it was fun it, it was terrific. a long it was a long day I'm getting lots of uh positive feedback and um it's 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 fun when that when it's um accepted and greeted with so much enthusiasm. So I appreciate your kind words and uh feel free to share it on your channels and uh email it to your friends. It's uh it's got, you know, 5 6000 views already just on my little YouTube ch- or Facebook channel or whatever it is. Um so it's and it's out there on it's out the what we're buying, we don't usually do this, but it's all over the broadcast here in Detroit. We're buying 1 minute spots which we usually don't do. There's a 1 minute and there's a 30. The 1 minute is everywhere just to, because it, I thought it was so entertaining in these times. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it was worth the extra spend to, to get, to get it out there because we're so proud of it.
0: Yeah. It, I, I think it's in all fairness to, to your creative team. They did a great job because as you very well said, it's a, it's a sensitive topic yet it's uh, very gracefully handled and it's entertaining and uh, you know, I, it, it, it doesn't feel as making a political statement. It feels a protective attorney trying to look after his community. That's really the message that you get from it. Um, Mike, I want to, in this same topic of TV, right? Because you've, in, it's, it's kind of like, take us to a slightly different direction, but it's, uh, it's very interesting to me to hear what's your take on OTT versus traditional TV? because you've been relying very heavily on TV and your marketing advertising so far, but TV is evolving fast. And so do you see OTT as the future of TV? Are you already starting to uh, advertise in these platforms or you're still playing it safe and strong with traditional TV primarily?
2: So I don't have a great answer for you. I have a, I have a full-time you know, team, a digital team that deals with that. Um, and I kind of put that in the digital world, even though it's kind of TV. Um, I know they've bought some. Um, I don't think we've had great results yet. Um, and my team is always looking at new ways to get the word out, and that's probably the future as people are cutting the cord um, and you know streaming and uh, you know you know watching alternative. Uh, devices and, and things like that um, but I don't think it's a major focus of ours yet we're still heavy on broadcast and, and, and some cable uh, we do have a big presence on digital um, which is obviously um, big and uh, but it's still dis- disproportionate I, I'd say you know I'd say uh, I'd say 80% is still TV 20% is is digital
3: yeah, I literally just came out of a meeting with that team uh, right before the broadcast here, and uh, I, I would characterize it as we're doing enough to uh, experiment and get some data, so that we can then make intelligent decisions and monitor how quickly we should shift um, uh, our budgets um, to, you know, match what uh, what the viewers are doing.
0: Yeah, and with, that's a, a lot of the upside that Over the Topic has is that it gives you data that TV doesn't, right? It, exactly. And so, um, well, uh, it's very interesting to hear how you're experiencing uh, that uh, transition. And I, we appreciate a lot just sharing some of your insights. So, sure. um, thank you. Uh, no problem. And,
3: and attribution, I mean, it's, it's everything yeah. and knowing what you're getting precisely. Um, yeah. for what you're spending will do nothing but give us the confidence to uh, shift more and we'll, we'll be able to spend our money intelligently in a very targeted way.
1: Yeah, between funnel and last-click attribution, it's a lot easier to track data points online. I know. I feel you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that kind of brings us to what we ask of from the both of you. It could be one or two or three from each one of you. We ask for three takeaways, three actionable takeaways to make you a happier and more successful person it again because of your book and the way you operate this can be anything right it can be life it can be from the book it can be from your own life so provide us with three takeaways that you think people can actually take and do something with today
2: learn how to meditate whether it be buying a an app or uh calm i use uh what the heck is this called? Medicate. I just use meditation timer, and I learned how to. Nice. Um, I took a training kit class on uh, um, transcendental meditation, which I've been doing for a couple of years, which I find very helpful. Um, I exercise every day, and I eat mostly a vegetarian diet with some fish, and those are my three takeaways for a happy and healthy. Life
0: full lifestyle, there. Thank you very much. I like that. <laughs> John, what John's about you?
3: You sure the opposite? So, yeah, mine's the opposite. <laughs> mine are all work based. Eat meat, no, right? Lots of meat. Don't <laughs> meditate, then you'll feel full. Um, so no, I'm kidding. So, <laughs> mine were more um professional oriented. I would say, um, know your numbers, they'll point the way. Uh, the next one was do what you love to do. That that comes up in the book. Uh, too many people are doing stuff that they shouldn't be. It's not their unique ability. It's not their highest, best use. And delegate work that you're not great at and that you don't love to do to somebody else who does love doing that.
1: Um,
3: and then finally, uh, your firm is more important than your biggest case. Uh, so it's baffling to think that you're too busy to work on the business. You can only work in the business when uh, your firm is actually a lot more impactful and important than even your biggest case ever.
0: Wonderful, excellent. Thank you so much, John. Well, uh, Mike and John, Thank you again so much for joining us for another conversation. I know you've came here and shared that you have some time available and such, but we know that you're very busy. A lot of people want your attention, and so we really appreciate the fact that you gave us that opportunity to have the conversation with uh, both of you. So uh, thank you very much. And, you know, this is your home. You're always welcome to come and share here more uh, insights because we love them and we learn a lot from you. So thank you again for being here today.
1: And John, if you want to geek out on numbers, you always I will give you my number. <laughs> please, please do Michael please has make it, sure so. I get it I will that'd send be great you. thanks guys <laughs> thank you Michael gentlemen you, stay
0: Jeff. safe thank you very much and have a lovely rest of your you day too. you too Grace what an amazing conversation I love having Mike in this podcast he's so real he always has so many wonderful points of view right on things and, and he's authentic,
1: right, Grace? Yes. And, and we were lucky enough to get some added things that he wasn't even thinking about telling yeah. us and, or others. And,
0: <laughs> and and John, right? You can see how well they complement each other, right? Yes. W- what
1: a great team that is. Perfect yeah. to what they were saying, right? Yeah. About delegating and you yeah. know, the different the, takeaways they had.
0: It's kind of like the, creati- the creativity side of things. And then you have the, the technical, the execution, the, me- the methodical side of things. And so I think it's really interesting to have a conversation with both of them at the same time and see the different focus that each one of them takes on the same topic. And so that was mind blowing. I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure everyone who's uh, joined us uh, so far has had a great experience listening to this episode. But Grace, let's go ahead and do our takeaways, because although we've already got six very good and strong takeaways, you and I always have ours. So let me give you mind grace and this really as you start reading the book this actually comes right to your face and it's kind of like one of the first messages you get is be in charge of your own destiny grace right don't let others decide your fate don't let others don't put your 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 success potential in the hands of others true that everybody has to start from somewhere right But have a plan for your career. Have a plan for your professional life and take bold moves to get towards it. God damn scary, Grace. It can be very, very scary at times. But at the same time, it can be also very rewarding. And if you don't do it, you may regret it for the rest of your life. And so I think, you know, just from having uh, had this conversation and such, it, it, it strikes to me as it's easy at times to let just others decide for you. Just follow, just do, just be comfortable in what's working right now. But that's not the best choice. It tends not to be the best choice. So take control over your life, of your career. Grace, what do you think?
1: I think so. I mean, you, you need to take care of yourself and that includes working on your own destiny, working on yourself, starting somewhere, but having a plan for your life, whether it's professional and personal or both or all of it, really, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. I think that brings us to number two, right? And uh, this one's mine. We always talk about. Well, Liel is also a numbers person as well. We no, but know you, this.
0: Grace, but you, you, you know, you're you're far more into numbers than I am. I think <laughs> it it's it, it's starting to strike me. Like I I like data. I really like data, Grace. But yours is an obsession, and
1: I it love is an it. obsession. <laughs> so I love th- it. The takeaway is know your data, guys. Like <laughs> know your data. How can you not, right? I know people are scared of it, right? I think that's. I feel like that's been maybe a, a gut feeling of not wanting to really know what's going on because, like you said, they can kind of go with the flow. Or yeah, but you'd be surprised if you actually know what's going on with your data. Yeah. You're gonna feel more comfortable and confident right. in what you're doing. I think what you're saying is very right, Grace. It's intimidating. Like yes. it
0: puts you kind of like in a very vulnerable position when you really give yourself an opportunity to really measure things, right? Because what you're facing is potentially realizing that something that you believe was doing great for you actually works nothing, right? And you know, to take those hits actually has a lot of value because it gives you an opportunity to turn things around. And Making those moves can potentially lead you to a more successful a more profitable career and business and and so I, I think I think it's something that w- we can no longer go about without actually acknowledging data and taking steps towards gathering that data. It's not just about okay, let's look at data. the data doesn't just come to you, you need to collect it, you need to organize it, and you need to analyze it so it's a process we've talked about it in many different Conversations here in this podcast, and so it's extremely, extremely valuable. Grace, I agree with you. I hundred percent agree with you.
1: One last takeaway, Grace. So I think that both of us can say this one because this is something we yeah. always talk about, right? You
0: know, let's say it at the, at, at, the at the same time. time. The count and three. Okay, <laughs> one, two, one, two, three. Be, Be a- authentic. Authentic. <laughs> yes.
1: Great. <laughs> That's right. Be authentic, guys. Um, You know, it is something that Leo and I talk about all the time. If you can't be true to yourself, you can't be who you are, you cannot do well and you won't. Yeah. So that's what it boils down to. Just be yourself, be authentic, be true to who you are. And um, the things, if you plan and do what you're supposed to do and know your data, the rest will come. What do you think, Leo?
0: i i agree grace i mean that's that's the 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 life lesson right that uh mike shares with us is that be yourself be authentic right uh it came out many times throughout the conversation we're not doing things to please others we're doing things because that's who we are that's 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 what we think is right that's that's our values Mm -hmm. and there is no better feeling than that, Grace. And as it was also mentioned during the conversation, others are watching and people want to be around people who stand Belief. up for their beliefs. Mm-hmm. And Grace, I couldn't agree with you. It's, a, I, it's a, you know what, I mean, being authentic, it's not an easy thing to do, but you should 100% do it and aim for always staying true to yourself. Going back, how easy it is to do things because it pleases others or because others are telling you to do but sometimes the hardest thing is to actually stay true to yourself and so that's part of being authentic grace so much, so much, so much to take from this conversation. I so, I'm so i so thankful for uh, both John and uh, Mike for joining and for sharing also things that they haven't yet shared with uh, anybody else. Right. You heard so, it first here,
1: guys. Yeah, <laughs> you were
0: the first here. To, you were the first to learn here that Mike Morrison and John are going to be consulting law firms, law yes, firms, law firms potentially for growth. Right. That's it's
1: massive. Right. Mm-hmm wrongful convicted that's felons amazing. right that's like wow the innocence institute when he said that wow. i was just floored floored honestly and
0: and, and, and going back uh, going back to what we were just talking right if you think about i know because you're you you're you have a background in psychology right great so yes. if you're thinking of maslow's pyramid
1: that's top tier that's right you, he's he's at the enlightenment phase both how insane them. is that yeah self-actualization Exactly. They're at the point in their careers where can they choose what they want to do with their time and their lives from here on out. That's insane. That's fantastic.
0: It, it is fantastic, Grace. And so that's what we should all be striving for. Grace. That's right. Thank you for a great conversation. Have a great rest of your day and we'll talk again next week. You too. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your coworkers, leave us a review, And send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week.